So, uh, isn't it interesting that ever since the time of Jesus, we've been instructed to learn stuff from children, which is important, right? Long before child-centered education became a thing, Jesus was saying, ah, there's something really powerful and profound about life, about what ultimately matters that we can learn from children. And so what I wanted to do today is have a bit of a think with you uh, about what it is that we can learn from kids about ultimate reality, about God, about the spiritual life, about the meaning of life. And I hope that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you'll find something useful in this that you can take away and that'll help you make sense out of your life and sense out of uh, your family and those close relationships around you. So... Um, the disciples, they're just, that's just a name for people who are following Jesus around. So this is 2,000 years ago. And Jesus has had a reputation as a, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as a miracle worker. People are thinking, this is a man who has a, a deep insight into God. And um, one of the things I like to s think about for myself is um, we, can, we can make Christianity and religion very complicated, but... Perhaps the starting point this morning is to think that Jesus is the most insightful, intelligent person who's ever lived. And, and there's a lot of historic data to back that up, right? So no one's teaching and view on the world has had as big an impact on all of humanity as Jesus' teaching and insight. And, uh, and the, if you take that one step further, or maybe ten steps further... Think about what the world would be like if everybody actually took what Jesus said really seriously. Like if we really did what he said, how good would the world be? It'd be pretty amazing. I've, when I've put that question to people of all religions and backgrounds, uh, my brother who is a Muslim, people down the street who are, you know, um, spiritual but not religious, um, one of the guys I play squash with who's... Uh, pretty committed agnostic um, they all go yeah no that'd be great like if we just all did what Jesus did that'd be great so then let's take that he's really smart he knows how life works he knows all the stuff about spirituality and if we could just follow him and get everybody to live the way he said we should live the world would be better um, so his disciples come to him they ask this really interesting question and they say well who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven now this is a very it's a very human question because this is this question goes to the heart of how we all try to make sense of life. What do I mean by that? We all want to live a great life. We're social beings. Uh, we inevitably form ourselves into social hierarchies. And we all want to get ahead. We all want to climb the social hierarchy. We all want to succeed and achieve. And those hierarchies can be characterized by things like youth and beauty, physical strength, uh, economic power, social status, you name it. There's, there's hierarchies, and we're driven, we're moved as, as social beings to sort of try and position ourselves up the hierarchy because we really all want to make something of our lives. No one starts life out and says, I want to be miserable and I want to live a pointless life. We don't do that. We're all trying to be happy and we're all trying to make something of our lives. Now, heck, some of us get dealt terrible hands. 
where, where the best we can do is, is get our clothes on and get out the door, right? Like some, for some of us, life is extraordinarily difficult. And for others of us, like we've just got an amazing set of hands and, and we can climb to the top of all kinds of hierarchies and have lovely big houses with water views and sit on the top of government and politics and uh, power and companies and have everything at our feet. But the inner drive is the same. I want to make something out of my life. I want this life to work. I want to be happy. I want to live a great life. Um, and his disciples go to Jesus. Now, hang on, Jesus. You've been talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. So how do I become great in that? How do I, how do I really make life work in the kingdom of heaven? Because we all know, don't we, how to, make, how to pursue greatness in the kingdom of this world. Okay, so in this world, in our culture now, um, uh, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of Western culture right now? What does it mean to be great in our culture? It means to be rich, to be educated, to be articulate, to be powerful, to be healthy, to be well-connected. We can name all those things, right? Okay, so the kingdom of heaven, what is it? What's the kingdom of heaven? Uh, first, I'll give you a technical definition, and then I'll give you a modern translation. The technical definition of heaven is the place where God's will is done. Okay, so a kingdom is just the sphere of our effective rule. Like, I have a kingdom of Mark. You are impacted by it because you're sitting here listening to me. But I can't really... My, my, the sphere of my rule is limited. You could stand up at any moment and leave. And I couldn't hunt you down and kill you as a result of it. Um, I have a limited sphere where what I want happens. Uh, and the, the more I go on in life, the more I realize that's actually a pretty limited sphere. Um, the kingdom of heaven is the, is the sphere of God's will where what he wants happens. Okay, so that's the technical definition. That's why, by the way, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says we're to pray that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So in heaven, that's where everything just works the way God wants it to work. Here's a popular definition of the kingdom of heaven that's more appealing. Kingdom of heaven is where everything is what it's meant to be, where everything works. The kingdom of heaven is where everything is what it's supposed to be. Now that, like that's amazing. a place where, where there's no selfishness, where there's no decay or entropy or gossip or lies or disease or injustice or suffering or war. The kingdom of heaven is a place where you and I can't stuff things up. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this. There's an English writer, Francis Buffett, who, who defined sin as uh, the ineluctable human tendency to F things up. Pardon the abbreviated little language. He, he didn't abbreviate it. He had the full F word there. It's this ten but the kingdom of heaven is a place where no one is ever going to stuff anything up. 
where love wins and is perfect and is never interrupted by hate or injustice or suffering or death or destruction. That's the kingdom of heaven. And now the disciples say to Jesus, in this world where everything is as it is supposed to be, in this world, in this reality where nothing is ever stuffed up, who's going to be really great then? And how do I get that? And how, how do I make sure that in this perfect world that's coming, I can be great? Isn't that a great, that's a, that's a good question. And Jesus says, it's a little kid, and he goes, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change your whole mind about this kingdom of heaven business, and I'm going to show you what it's like. And he says, takes a little child. Now, now, little children in Jesus' day were pretty close to the bottom of the social hierarchy. You know, you had the, the, the man who was the patriarchal head of the household, and then you might have a wife, and, and then you might have servants, and then you might have slaves, and then you'd have kids. There were lots of kids, and they, 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 were, they had very little social value, and they were... And Jesus takes this little child, and he brings this child right into the center of this crowd. And he says, Truly I tell you, unless you change... And become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he goes, hey, you know what? Before we even get to talk about who's going to be really great in the kingdom of heaven, here's the thing you've got to think about. Are you even going to get into it? Are you even going to find a way to live in a world where nothing's ever stuffed up? Like, how are you going to get in? I mean, now that's a good question. Uh, let me ask you, let, let me show you the force of that. Um, imagine this community, us in this room now, imagine we were living perfectly in the kingdom of heaven. That is, that we were in a place now where everything was exactly as it was supposed to be. Every thought, every inclination, every motivation, every action, every word was exactly the way it was meant to be. That is that we are all loving each other the way we love ourselves. And there's complete, absolute relational and moral and economic purity in this room. How long do you think it would last? <laughs> Probably in the span of me saying that sentence, you've already had a thought or a feeling or an inclination that is not completely as it's meant to be. Notwithstanding our magic doors, do you know we have magic doors here? Magic doors are, this is, this is the magic door. Out there, uh, you're fighting like crazy, you're, you're, you're dragging your kids into, <laughs> through the car park, and you're snapping with each other, and you're tired, and you're exhausted, and you're grumpy, and then you walk through the doors of the church, and you're like, oh, magically, we're all good now. Notwithstanding those magic doors, We'd stuff things up. If this was the kingdom of heaven now, I know for myself, if I brought myself into this, I'd muck it up. Wouldn't you? Because that's just our tendency. So then the question is, oh my goodness. Let's not just think about being great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says the prior question is, geez, who's even going to get in and not muck it up? Who can get into this world of perfection and not muck it up? And Jesus says, well, you've got to learn from a little kid. So how do you get in? Actually, 
This, is, this would have been very confronting for the disciples and everyone listening because you don't learn from little children. You learn from wise rabbis. They'd come to say, wise rabbi, teach us. And the wise rabbi goes, learn from someone who's at the bottom of the social hierarchy. And you may be feeling that. You may be like, well, no, hang on, Mark. I'm not that bad. What, this, is, this, is a bit, this is a bit insulting. Uh, maybe. Just, just, and if, if you're really insulted by the end of it, come and chat to me, and I'd love to hear it from you. Why? Because at one level, it is a little insulting. It's a little like, well, no, hang on. Why? But wait. What are we to learn about children and God and life the way it's supposed to be? Well, here's what we learn. You learn that you come into the kingdom of heaven by the invitation of the king of heaven who just says, come home. And you just run into that king's arms and you accept the call and you come with humility and dependence and vulnerability. And you don't come demanding greatness. You don't come assuming you've got it all together. You come purely because... You're called and you're welcome. I've got a picture to show you how this works. Some of you may recognize this. Okay. And you say, well, what's that, Mark? Good question. Let's zoom in. So this is, bear with me, we'll join the dots and you'll see how it all works. This is a little picture from a program we run here, a parenting program called Circle of Security. Circle of Security is a phenomenal program that has taken uh, decades of psychological research on what is called attachment theory and has figured out how to help parents work out uh, to help their kids become uh, securely attached, okay? And um, this, is, this is how Circle works, right? Circle of Security says every child needs uh, a pair of hands to hold them. That pair of hands is their caregiver. And that pair of hands does two things. It's a secure base from which the child can go out and to explore the world and have a wonderful time. And we see that with our kids, don't we? They, they leave us they, from like very little. You can see the kids looking out from their mum. And, and in circle, you'll be trained in how to recognize this. If we were to look down the back there, we'd see this, exactly that circle happening. A little kid's just crawled out from dad crawls out to explore, then suddenly goes, oh, geez, I'm, this is a little scary. Oh, 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 turns around and, uh, and uh, comes back, goes, I need you, I need you. And the little kids come, comes running back to, uh, to the pair of hands to be a safe haven, to protect me, comfort me, delight in me, organize my feelings. There is this circle in... In every one of us, there's movement going out and coming back, going out from the safe pair of hands and coming back that characterizes all of our lives. And Jesus is saying, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to experience God as a safe pair of hands, as a safe haven to whom you can run to when, when you've, you, we, we move out from God into the world, you go and explore. This is a wonderful thing. We have free will. We are not automatons. We are not robots. God says, hey, Mark, 
go and explore. I've given you this capacity. And so off we go to go and explore the world and, and we build our little kingdoms and they're great. But what happens, what happens when our kingdom becomes a place of pain and suffering and loneliness and we become aware that we're cut off from others, that life isn't the way it's supposed to be? I mean, don't you, don't you feel that? Like if you're honest, you go, particularly as you get older, you go, geez, this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. My ability to love is not what it's meant to be. My ability to conquer the world is not what it's meant to be. Don't you discover that, that your, your marriage, as good as it is, isn't, you can never, it can never be perfect. It's like this unattainable thing. So same with parenting, same with life. And then as we go through, we, we go further and further away from God. We become excruciatingly aware of our own vulnerability. And so then the question is, what do we do with that? And Jesus says, what you've got to do is you've got to learn from a little kid, because a little kid, when they're out on the end of the circle and lonely and scared and threatened, will turn and run back to their caregiver, to their mum or dad, and discover that mum or dad to be a safe pair of hands to welcome them in, protect them, delight in them. And that, that, Jesus says, is what we're to learn. That if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you need to get to a place where you can come back to God and experience this father as, as a, a safe pair of hands to welcome you and accept you and never reject you. That can be hard. Like, for all sorts of reasons. It's, it's hard and scary Who's, will God be there for me? And, and it's hard and scary because in our world, if we're really successful at life, we're independent. We're raised to be independent, to not need people. And let me tell you, that illusion of independence can last right up until your deathbed. <laughs> and you can go, you can shuffle off this mortal coil, fighting and screaming at the end of the circle, not ever coming back to experience God as a safe pair of hands because you're going to make life work. You can't rely on others and you'll die alone and miserable, fighting and yelling, screaming at the night. Or you can humble yourself and go, geez, I'm alone, I'm scared, I'm sick, I'm dying, I realize I mess things up. I'm a mess, you're a mess, we're all a mess. I've, I'm wonderful and glorious and I can go out into the world, but man, I need a pair of hands. And Jesus says, I've come into this world to show you that there is a pair of hands there, a metaphysical, spiritual, real being at the heart of the universe who is there for you when you want to come home, if you want to come home, when you come home. And, and you come home to those pair of hands, not saying, well, look at all my achievements and my accomplishments. That's not how a kid comes home. You know this. When your child has hurt themselves in the playground, what do they do? They just come running to you. Give me a hug. 
That's, when, when you come running home to that safe pair of hands, that is not a time to go, well, how impressive you are. I'm, I'm so glad you, you managed to ride your bike so well, and now I'll comfort you. Because you, you, know, you don't even think about all the stuff you've done. It's just, you're there, you get a hug, and everything's okay, because your mum or your dad, your auntie, your uncle has thrown their arms around you, and, and you're in safe. And that's, Jesus says, how we come into the kingdom of heaven. You just come running back into the arms of God. And you don't come with all your achievements and your morality and your religion and your sexuality and your gender and your ethnicity and all this. Say, look at all the stuff I've done. Neither do you come to God going, oh, geez, I'm a worm, I'm miserable, I've stuffed up. You just run into his arms and say, take me home. Welcome me home. And he does. Now, of course, it's entirely reasonable for you to say, Mark, that's a great theory, but I don't think there's a God. And maybe you think that. Uh, I want to make this suggestion to you, if, if that is what you think. And it's a reasonable thought. And, and this is actually how I think about God a lot. There is, all the psychologists will tell us, there is a universal human desire for there to be a safe pair of hands for us to hold us at the beginning and at the end of our lives. We are made for this. Attachment theory, the science and psychology of attachment theory has shown us something deeply profound about our existence, actually that people have known even before scientists codified it in attachment theory. Um, there is a, and and this, this never goes away in the human heart this longing, this deep need for there to be a safe pair of hands that is big enough and strong enough and wise enough and kind enough to hold us for all eternity. So the question is, uh, the philosophical argument for the existence of God along these lines is actually called the argument from unmet desire. Here's how the argument runs. If there is a desire in every human who has ever lived for there to be a safe pair of hands bigger than any human being who is there at our birth and in our lives and at our death to welcome us on the other side of our death, if that is universally present, that longing and desire, it seems reasonable to assume that the potential for that longing and desire to be met actually exists. A simple way to think about this if every person is thirsty, we all experience thirst, right? It's therefore reasonable to assume that there exists in reality the potential for that thirst to be quenched. The universal desire for water means it's reasonable to think that water exists. It's not 100% likely, but pretty reasonable. The universal human need in your heart and in my heart for there to be a God, as we've just described, as Jesus makes available, to be a safe pair of hands for us, to hold you, that universal need makes it reasonable to think that, that such a God actually exists. That's worth thinking about. I find that quite a helpful argument. I'm really happy to talk to you afterwards uh, and, and, and to engage with you over time if you're not sure about this yourself. <laughs> and then Jesus says, um, do you know what you need to do? 
just got to become like that child. You've got to learn that child, and then you've got to become like the child. And then you've got to treat everyone else on that basis. You've got to welcome the lowly and the humble. Everybody, irrespective of how great they are in this world, still comes running back to the Father like a little child to find a safe pair of hands at the heart of the universe. So treat everyone like that. We're all on that circle. We're all on that journey. So let's treat everyone like that with compassion and kindness, strength and gentleness, encouraging us all to come back to the Father. Now, <laughs> you know I sometimes think to myself, even if this Christian story is not true, geez, I wish it were true. <laughs> don't, you want, don't you think that? Like, and maybe you're not religious. Maybe you're just here, and that's, that's wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe. But when you listen to this, don't you think, Joe, I can't believe it, but, but I do wish that something like this were true. And, and that's what I've been trying to do, paint a picture, as Jesus did, for how wonderful this truth is. And so I want to say to you this morning, come to the Father and find him to be your safe pair of hands. Who else is going to hold you? Who else is going to be there for you? I mean, in our culture, you see, what do we do when we, when we get to the end of the circle and we're overcome with anxiety and fear and loneliness? Well, we double down on workaholism. We self-medicate the loneliness and the pain with alcohol or drugs, pornography, affairs, travel, leisure, anything that gives us a dopamine hit, shopping, social media. We just try desperately to, 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 to deal with the pain of being out there away from God, lonely and anxious. That's what we do. And there's a better way to live. Don't medicate the pain, but let that draw you back to the safe pair of hands at the heart of the universe to find there the healing and the life and the love that you're made for. And practically what that'll mean, when I know that I am held safe in the hands of God, I'm in a way better place to be a safe pair of hands for my kids. I'm in a way better place to be a safe pair of hands for the people I lead at work, and you will be too. Let's pray. Lord God, pray that this morning each of us will learn from the children around us, even today. We'll learn to come running to you, our Heavenly Father, entering into the place where your will is done, a place of perfect life, safe and secure in your hands. We want to run into your hands. We want to come to you tonight, this morning, Lord. Give us the courage to do that, to abandon our stubborn attempts to make our own lives work. Give us the courage to abandon our dysfunctional attempts to medicate the pain of this life away with workaholism or alcoholism, prescription or illicit drugs or porn or dopamine hits from shopping or gambling or any of the countless ways we try and keep running. And help us come back to you this morning and find in you that safe pair of hands to hold us in this life and in the next. Amen. We are going to.